0: chapter 5. Our text today will be verses 1 through 21. I want to commend our brother Craig Spiker for that very noble effort reading through Genesis 10. We will, uh, we will honor him by allowing him to go first in line today during the fellowship. Meeting. <laughs> by the way, elders, um, when we get Later in the scriptures, we're going to have to do this again, so just to give you a word of preparation. There's a lot of passages that are very similar to the one he read today. Thank you, Craig. All right, our text today, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 21. Here once again, the very word of God. Therefore be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, or covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the world. Walk as children of light. For the, spirit of the, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, Awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let us pray together. <coughs> Father in heaven, we thank you for this passage that teaches us how to walk in newness of life, how to walk in love for our brethren, how to walk, Father, in the light that Christ has given us, that has been illumined by your Spirit, and, Father, how to walk in wisdom through the Spirit. We pray now that as we consider this passage, that you would go to us to love and good works, that we would look upon our brethren with all gratitude, for you have risen from death many to make up your kingdom. And, Father, help us to desire that kingdom's growth and spreading with all our hearts and to do the work of the kingdom as you call us to do the work of the dominion mandate. Father, we commit all of this to your care, for you care for us. And with thanksgiving, we now look into your word in great anticipation that you will build us up in the faith. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, brethren, today's passage from Ephesians 5 contains a wide variety of subject matter and admonitions from the Apostle Paul. Once again, this passage touches on the doctrine of the Trinity. So many of the passages in Ephesians that we've looked at so far have touched on the Trinity. It is here as well. It speaks, this passage also speaks of offering and sacrifice, of the sins of fornication, covetousness, coarse jesting, and idolatry. By contrast, it speaks of speech that is melodious and filled with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs that come from hearts filled with thanksgiving. And it concludes with the admonition to submit to one another in the fear of God. This should not surprise us, for Paul is teaching us how to live in unity and peace within the body of Christ, which is the calling of the previous chapter, chapter 4 and this epistle. Paul provides a very simple outline for us today from the passage. He highlights three kinds of steps or walking that the Christian is to be taking as we are to imitate God in verse 1. And those steps are mentioned in verses 2, 8, and 15. In verse 2, Paul writes, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us. In verse 8, he writes, walk as children of light, And in verse 15, he writes, walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise people. These three admonitions to walk become our outline for today. Now, before we begin looking at each in turn, I want to point out that these steps that we are to walk in relate very closely to the three persons of the Trinity. In verse 2, the example we are given by Paul to walk in love is personified in the person of Jesus Christ. If we desire an example to be an imitator of God, God provides that for us in his Son. We have no need to look beyond the example of Jesus and his commitment to offering and sacrifice. His love for the Father is exemplified in his selflessness, in putting aside his glory in heaven to purchase our redemption as men. Each week during communion, as I will today again, I quote from Paul's epistle to the Philippians, chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. That summary of the work and person of Jesus includes the humble, obedient love Jesus has for his heavenly Father to do the Father's will. Love for the Father eventuates in action. It does so in Christ, it ought also in us. Let me say that again. Love for the Father eventuates in action. Walking in the example of Jesus our Lord who is the personification of love, we must then walk in love when we mimic the humble obedience Jesus has for His heavenly Father. Consider that humble obedience. He set aside His glory in heaven to become a child of men. A woman, the Virgin Mary, To grow up a sinless man for the sole purpose of sacrificing his life on a tree, which is the ultimate curse in the Old Covenant. But the third day he rose from the grave. He conquered sin on the tree and death when he rose from the grave that you and I might be forgiven of our sins and have eternal life. He did that in humble obedience to the decree of the Father. Brethren, true love is to walk as he walked in that kind of humble obedience. Then in verses 8 through 10, we see the second kind of walking. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the world. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. Notice here that walking as children of light is tethered to the fruit of the Spirit. Walking as children of light is tethered to the fruit of the Spirit. And what is the fruit of the Spirit? Well, Paul describes that for us in Galatians 5, a very familiar passage to many of us. Beginning in Galatians 5, verse 22, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law, Paul writes, and those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. Here in Galatians, Paul uses this same tethering to the fruits of the Spirit as walking In the light. Brethren, we were in darkness. We were dead in our trespasses and sin. Dead means lifeless. It doesn't mean sick. It doesn't mean on your deathbed. It means without life. And God, through the work of His Son, by the illumination of the Spirit, brought light to what was dark. Life to what was dead. To walk in the light, as Paul is admonishing us to do, we are to crucify the flesh with its passions and desires, and we are to put on the fruits of the Spirit. Then lastly, so notice that, it's, uh, that this, these walkings that Paul is describing in chapter 5 of Ephesians are tethered first to Christ, then to the Spirit, and then lastly, as the passage relates to the person, the Father, the person of the Trinity, the Father, Paul states in verses 15 through 17, See that you walk circumspectly, not as fools but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Father or the will of the Lord is. Here is the admonition to walk as wise men, understanding what the will of the Lord is. Inherent in these three verses is an expectation to understand what the will of the Lord is. Now this may cause you some uneasiness. Do you know what the will of the Lord is for your life? How many times have you asked that question? Young people, my guess is that you're starting to ask that question. Adults, you've asked it many, many times and have wondered if you've answered it correctly. Well, this uneasiness... May, pause, may cause you pause and ask me, Pastor Hickey, I have no idea what the, world, the will of the Lord is for my life. Could you please help me? Well, that's my job today. That's my job. Might I suggest that knowing what the will of the Lord is for your life is much closer than you might think. It's much closer than you might think. And it's not so hard to understand as you might think. If you're looking for God to show you who you are to marry, what vocation you're to pursue, where you should live or how you should dress, whether you should eat your peas with a spoon or a fork or maybe a knife, you're likely assuming too much specificity from God's revelation. On the other hand, God's revelation is designed to protect us from sin and death while encouraging us to live as image bearers of God. In other words, the Bible creates a hedge around us to keep us from destruction while encouraging us to be creative in keeping the dominion mandate. Consider the words of Moses as he draws near to the end of his life in Deuteronomy 30. If you would, turn with me in your copies of, uh, of the scriptures to Deuteronomy chapter 30. I have shared this, this passage with the men just recently in our. Our study. Consider the words of Moses. Now, he's about to, his life is about to come to an end. He's already been told he's never going to enter the promised land. He's going to see it from a mountaintop, but he's not going to go in. He dies before the people of Israel cross over into the promised land, and none other than God Himself buries Moses. Um... I think that's instructive for us, but that's a sermon for another day. But God himself buries Moses. But before he goes in to the promised land, he has something to say to the people of Israel. First he speaks something to them, then he writes a song that they're to sing. Um, Few of us are songwriters. Some are very gifted songwriters. We even have some songwriters in our own congregation When Moses writes a song, my guess, the people of Israel, stopped and took note. I mean, after all, God himself recorded it in in the Holy Writ. It's in the canon of Scripture, so it's important. Uh, Might I encourage somebody in our congregation to take up these words and put them to to music, that we might sing Moses' song? Wouldn't that be a, a delight In our worship. Someday to sing the song of Moses together. Men. Ladies. What about in your last days. When you are recounting. What God has done for you. Are you going to have the strength. And the wisdom. yea, Yea even the joy. To put to music. Your thoughts about how God preserved you. Through your life. And blessed you. I would hope that some of us would think to do that as well. But. Let me draw us back to what I want to draw your attention to, and that's Deuteronomy chapter 30. Brethren, God's will is not only in heaven that I must ascend there to find it and do it. And and, and Moses says it's not across the seas that I should travel there to find it. No, as Moses wrote in in Deuteronomy 30, consider where God's will is when, when Moses writes these words. Now it shall come to pass... When all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God drives you, and you return to the Lord your God and obey his voice according to all that I command you today, you and your children, with all your heart and with all your soul, that the Lord your God will bring you back from captivity and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where the Lord your God has scattered you. If any of you are driven out to the farthest parts under heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will bring you. Then the Lord your God will bring you to the land which your fathers possessed, and you shall possess it. He will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all that you may live. Also, the Lord your God will put all these curses on your enemies and all those who hate you, who persecuted you. And you will again obey the voice of the Lord and, you, and do all his commandments, which I command you today. The Lord your God will make you abound in all the work of your hand, in the fruit of your body, in the increase of your livestock, and in the produce of the land for good. For the Lord will again rejoice over you for good, and as he rejoiced over your fathers." if you obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes which are written in this book of the law and if you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul now I'm going to read the rest of the chapter but I want to pause here a moment Moses is talking about blessing and curses that God had promised on the people of Israel if they remained obedient and faithful to him these kinds of blessings would come upon them the fruit of their work would flourish beyond their expectations. And the curses for disobedience would be cast upon their enemies. That's what God is saying. If you are faithful to do all that I've commanded for you. Now again in verse 11. For this commandment which I command you today is not too mysterious for you, nor is it far from you. It is not in heaven that you should say, Who will ascend into heaven for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? God's commandments are not far from us. Verse 14, But the word is very near you, very near you, in your mouth and in your heart that you may do it. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil, in that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments, his statutes and his judgments, that you may live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. But if your heart turns away so that you do not hear and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I announce to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over to the Jordan to go in and possess. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you. I want to pause there. Notice that he calls heaven and earth two witnesses. None of the scriptures says any fact of the scriptures, any fact is established on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Moses calls heaven and earth as witnesses today against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life, that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey His voice, and that you may cling to Him, for He is your life and the length of your days, and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, to give them. Now, brethren, I'm aware that some might be a little hesitant to embrace this notion, that that God's commandments are the things that are near to us, and that is his will. After all, is that not found in the Old Testament? Aren't you reading from the book of Deuteronomy, Pastor Hickey? Indeed, I am. But don't forget this. Don't forget this. When God gives us the new covenant, in Jeremiah 31, chapter 31, what does he say is, exemplifies the new covenant? What happens to the law of God there? It's written on our hearts and our minds. And in Hebrews 8 and 10, the writer of Hebrews, who I believe was Paul, reiterates those very things for us. In Hebrews 10, beginning in verse 15, But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us. For after He had said before, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds I will write them. Then He adds, Their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Who is the author of the new covenant for us? Who is the testator? Who is the one who confirms that covenant that is made with God, is it none other than Jesus Christ? And when we abide in Him, when we are called to His side, yea, even to be adopted sons of God, by the Holy Spirit, it is His covenant that we participate in. And that covenant includes the writing of God's laws on our hearts and on our minds. You see, God's will is summarized in the Ten Commandments which is the hedge around us to keep us from sin and death. Within that hedge, there is great liberty and tremendous room for creativity. Well, you might say, Pastor Hickey, I want God to tell me exactly what I should do with my life, exactly what vocation I should pursue, who I should marry, what I should wear, what I should eat, and where I should live, etc., etc. With all due respect, I don't think you really want to live with all those specificities revealed to you by God, I submit that should God reveal those kinds of things to you, as He does other things in the Scripture, Chuck, you will marry this woman. Chuck, you will be a pastor. Chuck, you will eat these things. Chuck, If that were the case, I submit that we would complain to God that He has orchestrated our lives in such a way that he, and He didn't ask for our consent. If he gave us that specificity, we would all be complaining. Why? Because we're sinners. We complain about everything. We complain about complaining, don't we? I'm doing it now. Do you see? We turn things upside down. When God gives us these great gifts, they are for our good and for our encouragement. That we should do them and and love him. Well, let me talk to you about specificity and things that God calls us to do. First of all, God calls us to live by faith, doesn't he? Not by sight. We are to live by faith. Embedded in that notion is trust. He wants us to trust in his provisions and his timing. After all, we are his children. And should we expect a kind and loving and benevolent God, the God of the Bible, to pour out on his children all sorts of evil? Hasn't he sacrificed his own son, Jesus Christ, to bring us closer to him? To, to bring us life, and not just any kind of life, but abundant life? Hasn't he done that for our, on our behalf already? Surely he has. Each day is a new revelation from God, from the sovereign hand that has planned our lives. He is directing us into the very places and circumstances that He knows are best for us. And brethren, this includes our trials. Patience must be exercised. Trust in the Lord's mighty benevolent hand must be exercised. Particularly when it comes to answering questions of vocation, of marriage, of where we shall live and serve the Lord. And the Scriptures tell us that He will give us the desires of our hearts if we put our faith and trust in His revelation. Psalm 37.4 reads, Delight yourself also in the Lord, and He shall give you the desires of your heart. Brethren, do we delight ourselves in the commandments of God, the things that He's written on our hearts and minds? Do we pursue them with diligence? Not that we might prove that we deserve salvation. God forbid We can't do anything to merit our own salvation. Nothing at all. But we do it in response to a loving God who's drawn us out of darkness into life. Who's given us the light of the world. Who's shown us our sinfulness and a way of escape. When we walk in obedience to the Lord and His word, God famously works to provide the desires of our hearts. I say famously, and I'll speak to that in just a moment. He orchestrates our circumstances where our talents can best be used for His glory and our good. Our God is no curmudgeon. Our God is no curmudgeon. He does not toy with us for no reason. Even the trials unto which He subjects us are for our good. And He's even told us that in His Scripture. All things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purposes. Romans 8 28. God wants you to enjoy His creation as you pursue keeping the dominion mandate to subdue the earth and fill it. He wants you to enjoy that work. He has given enough specificity in His word to keep you from harming yourself and to keep you from dishonoring Him. Likewise, He has given you enough liberty to. That you are able to pursue the desires of your heart with creativity. Giving no opportunity for grumbling and complaining. Brethren, I would suggest that God has directed us specifically to do his will. That specificity is contained in his moral commands. That is why in our passage, Paul admonishes us to, to flee all sorts of evil which include fornication, uncleanness, idolatry, coarse jesting, covetousness, drunkenness, and in general disobedience. All of those things are mentioned in Ephesians 5. These are the things we're to turn from. So when we turn from that, what do we turn to? We turn to the holiness of God. Paul tells us that we are to present ourselves as an offering and a sacrifice to God in all obedience, just as Jesus modeled that for us. That's in the beginning of our passage. And when we become living sacrifices unto God and delight ourselves in the ways of God, He delights in giving us the desires of our hearts. Rejoicing becomes habitual. That's what's described in Ephesians 5. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another in the fear of of God. That becomes our habit. We rejoice because it's satisfying. To do God's will is satisfying. It's fulfilling. It's the thing that strengthens us when we walk in that way and not the ways of the world. I think back at some of the sermons that I've preached in different places from the Scriptures. I'm thinking right now of Habakkuk, the book of Habakkuk when I preached through Habakkuk. Just a real short story. When I was preaching through that book, I was asked to speak at Calvary Christian School. And so I went and I, to speak at the, the chapel service. And as I walked in, the, the headmaster greeted me. Thank you, Pastor Hickey, for coming. I think you're the first Presbyterian to preach here. And uh, he says, would you do me a favor? Don't preach on baptism. I said, fine, I won't preach on baptism. He says, by the way, what is your text today? I said, I'm going to preach through the whole book of Habakkuk. And his, his face fell, his countenance fell. The book of what? (laughs) Habakkuk. It's in the Bible in the Old Testament. It's one of the minor prophets. He said, I know that. You're going to preach from the whole book? Yeah, it's only three short chapters, so I'm going to do a survey through it. Oh, okay. Thank you, Pastor Hickey. So I I preached my sermon. At the end of my sermon, he comes rushing up to me. He says, Pastor Hickey, you can come and preach from Habakkuk anytime you want. And it it was well received by the the, the, uh, students. I want to point out Habakkuk for you for, for one, this reason. Habakkuk looks at the people of Israel and their sin, and he is so terribly grieved. He, he cries out to God, God, aren't you going to do something about your own people here? The sin is so great, they need to repent, bring repentance to them. God says, yes, I'm going to do something about them. I'm going to bring a more wicked people than they to come and judge them. And Habakkuk reels. Backward. Wait a minute, I didn't bargain for this when I prayed to you for that. And God says, trust me in this. Trust me in this. That I will lift up my people with a more wicked people than they. Habakkuk puts his trust in the Lord and he writes a song about it. He writes a song at the end of the book. Now that's the kind of faith I want to have. We have a very wicked nation right now, don't we? It could be that God will judge us with an even more wicked nation, or maybe an even more wicked ruler. But I want to trust in God for the increase. I want to trust in God for the deliverance. And I might even write a song about it. That's the kind of faith that we have, ought to have. Here in our text. Rejoicing speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in our heart. These are the things that should become habitual to those who walk in the ways of the Lord. All right, let me bring some application to all this. Earlier, when talking about the will of the Lord, I suggested that you are looking for too much specificity if you're looking for God to show you who to marry, what vocation you ought to pursue, where you should live, or how... You ought to dress. There is no chapter and verse in the Bible that gives you these details. David, Tom, Jay, Craig. I I can, David, I shouldn't have spoken to you. Should have left it with the elders. Trust me, there's no place in the, you can't go, where do I go in the scriptures to find Chuck, who do you marry? But don't misunderstand me even though those versions aren't there, what I am saying is that God did not say to me, you're to marry Lori Livergood, who I did marry. But God did say to me, I was to marry in the Lord. And in so doing, God gave me a desire for a wife who loved the Lord and His Word, is faithful in her pursuit of God and the practice of her faith, who is beautiful, compassionate, sacrificial and intelligent those were the desires of my heart I had one commandment Mary and the Lord and God gave me those desires when I found that woman I prayed that God would turn her heart toward me and in his grace and in her mercy she gave me her heart there is a story that goes with that but not for today's sermon Brethren, the only specific command I had was to marry in the Lord. The remaining desires were in keeping with what that one command was for. But those were the desires of my heart. Young people, think about that. You have one command, marry in the Lord. Seek a person that exemplifies that same desire. Seek a person Who reflects what it is to be in the Lord? One who desires his worship, his word, to pray and seek his face. That's the person that you should pursue. But be patient. Those are rare jewels, hard to find. And you have to be patient. When we conform our hearts to the revealed will of the Father, God gives us the desires of our hearts. So what about the other areas of our lives? Where should I live? Brethren, God says to fill the earth and subdue it. That means all of it. Fill the earth and subdue it. All of it. That command is for every man. Therefore, we can conclude that we can live anywhere on earth to keep this commandment. I would suggest that you pick a place where corporate worship is being done with, with God's people. Where a covenant community exists. Because God calls us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together either. Uh, either. Why did I put either in there? We're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. So we need that kind of place. Which may necessarily exclude Antarctica. Okay? Okay? unless you're a church planner, and you're heading to Antarctica. It's going to be a small church, trust me. I, sus- I suspect that you should be not just a tent maker, you ought to also be a, a heat maker and a fisherman and all kinds of other things. But what it does say, when God gives us a command to fill the earth and subdue it, he means the whole thing. We have great liberty, don't we, in that commandment. What vocation should I pursue? Again, God equips each of us differently and gives us talents and desires that we're to use for him, for his glory, and for our good. Provided we're not pursuing evil things, we have the liberty to pursue any vocation for the Lord in subduing the earth and cultivating it. I suggest that you pursue a vocation for which you have an aptitude, something you like to do. Don't pursue something you don't like to do and then grumble and complain. God gives you the liberty to pursue what you want to do. Can you provide for a wife and a family on what you want to do? I was a history major in college. That Something had to give pretty quick when I got out of college. I enjoyed history. I still do enjoy history. Read a lot of it, teach it, but it doesn't provide a lot for the family. Now, I didn't become a pastor because I couldn't make it as a historian. Uh, Well, maybe I did. But suffice it to say, God called me to this work uh, specifically. And and as far as I can tell from Scripture, this is the only vocation that God specifically calls men to. Uh, But everybody else has the liberty to do what they want. Unfortunately, I don't, right? I don't see that as a burden, though. I see that as a blessing. God's called me to this work, and I want to pursue it. Your vocation, though, is the breadth of the world in cultivating it and subduing it. Thank God for that. Thank God for that. I can pursue my heart's desire and bring honor to God and do His will. How should I dress? The Bible says we're to dress modestly. This admonition is primarily for women, but I think this principle is becoming more important for men as well in our society. Brethren, from these examples, we see that the Bible gives us direction to stay within the boundaries of God's moral law, but to enjoy the liberty that's within those boundaries to their fullest. God gives us great liberty to pursue pursue the desires of our hearts. And provided we do it within his law, we are in his will. And this brings me to Augustine's famous saying, which I think is appropriate to conclude this sermon. He said these words, love God and do as you will. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that